TNB Tech Minute gives you the day's top tech headlines, from the big names in Silicon Valley to the halls of power. If it's making news in tech, we've got it. Check out TNB Tech Minute in the Tech News Briefing feed from The Wall Street Journal. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon and welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. My name is Arti Swaminathan and I am a housing reporter with Market Watch. So I'll be your host for today. And on today's episode, we're joined by Skylar Olson, who is the chief economist for Zillow, which uh, I know a lot of people are familiar with the site called Zillow. Welcome, Skylar. Well, well, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. For sure. So let's just take a second to appreciate the current forces at play here, right? It's the end of September, and we got a report today from the Mortgage Bankers Association that said, Mortgage rates are at a multi-decade high. So that's the 30-year, 23-year high. The FHA loan, 21-year high. Basically, mm-hmm. rates are high up across the board. Mm-hmm. So Skyler, awesome. Chief Economist at Zillow, what do high rates mean for the housing market? Yeah, well, I mean, for the U.S. housing market right now, honestly, what it means is a big pause. It means being frozen up. It means uh, sales are dropping because new listings are pulling back. And all this comes back to, yes, the buyer is clearly, I mean, gosh, from a buyer's perspective, high mortgage rates are, you know, in a punishing way for affordability because home prices are also so high. And yet it is the seller that's incredibly sensitive as well to high mortgage rates. So about, you know, maybe mid last year, we started to see new listings pull back like crazy as the existing homeowner gets really, you know, is holding on to say a rate below 3% does not want to lose that rate and go and get where currently they're above seven, right? That, that, that high is now in a 7% ballpark range. And so we've just seen housing markets really slow down. And by that, I mean volumes, like sales volumes and uh, the number of new listings to come on the market, because what that does on the flip side, kind of counterintuitively, maybe, is that it keeps prices uh, growing despite the affordability challenge. Home sales are way, way down. It looks like we're on a pace to hit 4 million uh, homes that were previously owned, existing home sales, as we speak in the jargon of housing. Um, That's down from a 6 million pace. So we're not really seeing, like you said, a big movement in prices. So, But that's not exactly true in every real estate market right so are you seeing a drop in prices so broadly like which regions and what is driving that yeah 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 let me kind of set the time scene just a little bit first because i think when we you know we're in a turning point in terms of you know maybe let's put it this way like a transition market right so we went from crazy home price growth particularly in places like austin Boise, um, you know, Phoenix, Seattle, Miami, right? So we saw stunning home price pressure when rates were really, really low. Now rates, you know, when they bumped up, you know, they went above five, then six, then 7%. Over that 
course of time, we did see home prices start declining. So if I'm looking at year-over-year changes, so this August compared to last August, home prices are down almost 10%, if not more, in a lot of those same places I listed, right? Like particularly Austin. Austin is home prices are still falling in areas like Austin, right? They're still falling in prices like uh, New Orleans, okay? But it's a big difference between what areas have home values lower than last year and where are they still declining? Because in areas like, say, Boise, Seattle's, because of that dramatic inventory pullback, like new listings from existing homeowners just pulled back like crazy, in some places dropping 50% below what was normal pre-pandemic, you know? So this big supply pullback, we're starting to see those prices stabilize again. So only a few major metropolitan areas are actually today experiencing price declines. Mm -hmm. Lots of softness, right? Lots of softer price increases, you know, a little bit more, say, like um, pre-pandemic than, you know, the crazy pandemic uh, you know, boom on prices and, you know, that aggressive uh, appreciation. Um, but for the most part, a lot of these metros are stabilizing out. Some still saw big, big price declines relative to last year, though, for sure. And we will come back to the specific metros because I think people are very curious about what's driving mm-hmm. that. I like what you said yeah. about how we're in a transition. When do rates fall? Will that help, you know, to borrow your words, unfreeze, you know, you said frozen. So how do we defrost this housing market? Are rates the answer, falling rates? Yeah, that honestly, that's going to be a very big part of this picture is a bit more resolution on rates. And I say resolution on rates because I don't know that it has to mean rates fall considerably, right? Resolution could just be we have long enough time where enough people, you know, are kind of pushed out of their lower rate environment by just life events, right? We still get divorced. We still get married. You know, our partners um, may, uh, we may still lose our partners and, and, you know, other other harder ways uh, than just divorce. All these things are uh, fundamental reasons that people move. Okay. So then I move, I lost my 3% mortgage rate. So time, time is something that, you know, just in general will heal the challenge that we're in. But what will do it a lot faster is for mortgage rates to come down. Now, how far do they have to come? If they come down to five and a half percent, that would bring your monthly payment much more in line to say rents that boomed also over the past, nowhere near as big as mortgage payments did, but rents also grew. It'd bring monthly payments uh, for mortgages, you know, back in line with that. It also brings it back in line a bit more uh, with, you know, a lot of kind of affordability rules of thumb. So that would, you know, be something that would push uh, sellers forward. We also see, by the way, big, um, we, we survey sellers like crazy, as you might imagine. So every quarter, Zillow sends out, you know, a, a big uh, survey, we call it our Q-ship survey. And we're asking people, in many ways, what's it going to take for you to move? Um, but we're asking them these days, are you willing to sell? And do you want to sell in the next three years? And what's your current mortgage rate? Right. And the higher your mortgage rate is, the more likely that person is to want to sell because some people are locked in, but not by, you know, a lot. So it's just a little bit of time. Now we can debate when mortgage rates come down. Um, and that could be like we could go into the macro of it if, if you're into it, Arthi. <laughs> but, um, you know, that is its own big debate is like what is going to happen with mortgage rates. Sometimes I worry 
that buyers have in the back of their head that rates are going to fall a little bit too much, right? Because honestly, we can't we can't really predict. Uh, this is a financial market. It's you know it, it's a hard thing to predict mortgage rates. So you just briefly mentioned. So you said you talked to sellers, which is great. We want to hear their perspective. Four million yeah. is still a pretty significant pace. It's not like nobody's selling. Four million people are still sure. transacting. Um, is that are these people moving for work? I mean, you mentioned death, divorce, um, you know, all sorts of other yeah. reasons. But I'm just trying to understand the picture of the home seller today because they are making yeah. that calculus. They're saying whatever rates are, I'm still going to sell. Can you talk a little bit about that specific yes. seller? Yeah. Yeah. I think the most, so you're, let's call them lucky. Okay. I think the luck, and the reason why I say lucky, honestly, is because what happened to home prices over the last three years was stunning. And, and I think in some ways, uh, you know, was a bit like winning the lottery, right? Like buying a home, home equity growth, not usually, you would not expect it to grow that fast. Pandemic area appreciation was stunning. Now the seller now that's the most lucky is one that is downsizing so that when they buy their next home, they're maybe not even buying it with debt. Perhaps that's their cash purchase. Maybe that's what's driving, you know, Miami home values to continue to grow, you know, um, despite the fact that mortgage rates are still up and elevated. So there are enough, and, and when we think about US housing, by the way, what we're kind of talking about is generations. That's why you say 4 million still sounds like so much, right? But when I'm thinking about US housing and what I'm thinking about right now, I mean, we're talking about the what would have, you know, having a higher pace of home sales, what we'd be talking about is kind of transitioning housing from boomers, you know, or Gen X to millennials. And we have massive populations of 25 to 45 year olds right now. Like we're hitting record size of that population. So 4 million, you know, of, you know, most of those sellers do tend to be older. So 4 million of those older sellers, ugh, that's not enough for the fundamental demand. Those like enough first time buyers that, that want it right. Moving forward. Does that help kind of think about it? Cause this is big. This is a, this is a record year for 25 to 45 year olds. And I like that age band because the median age of a first time buyer now is 35, 36 years old. So that kind of captures that, that early buyer that's just coming, you know, the millennials that are coming after the boomers homes, right? There's not enough of them for sure. So we're going to get into a little bit of the nuts and bolts. So just, just drilling down into that buyer. I am one of them. And yeah. when I look at the rent versus own sort of calculation, it just makes sense to rent here versus the building across me because yeah. it's twice the, the cost, right, on a monthly basis. So talk yeah. a little bit about this inventory squeeze and the, the competition yeah. and what that millennial buyer has to face. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so okay, so let's just think of this. I'm a millennial, you know, I'm a potential first time buyer. How should I start thinking about this experience? Because as you said, you know, maybe now with rates higher, maybe now more than two years ago, um, it might not be clear that that mortgage payment is going to be more affordable than my rent, right? So what is homeownership for? You know, do I move forward? You know, what's going on? So one, if I'm a first time buyer and it's this environment that I'm buying in, I'm buying for the long run, right? This is, this is not, I'm not buying to flip a home. 
Okay. So if I'm buying a home, I want it to match me and my future life. I want to know, you know, so inventory is low. How easy is that going to be? If there's not a lot of homes dropping into the market, I'm going to want, you know, a good partner, but I'm going to want patience. I'm going to need patience to make sure I buy the unit that I, you can afford, right? So you don't, you know, with high mortgage rates, work with a great lender because mortgage rates are jumping around. They're not just high, they're highly volatile. So you're working with a good lender. You're working with a couple lenders, right? You're waiting for that moment when rates drop. You're now qualified for the home that matches for you, right? This is what's so hard is you have to do these things at the same time, which is why you need great partners, you know, on the ground with you, a good real estate agent, a good, you know, good loan officers, but you're thinking for the long run. Your silver linings now are going to be that while prices are not falling anymore, they're really starting to slow down and price cuts are still elevated, right? Um, fewer homes are selling above those list prices. If you're working with a good partner to help you develop your strategy here, right? You should be able to get more concessions from the seller, get the seller to buy down your points, right? If the mortgage payment is your biggest barrier, that's how you think about, you know, your strategy for, you know, say your bid or what you're asking from that seller at the moment. It's not dropping that price, right? It's buy down my points because the, so what is the barrier? Maybe I should actually even roll back because I think for a lot of first time buyers, you kind of, what is the position you're in? Do you have a lot of savings, you know, um, and you can delay and bring that uh, debt down by smaller, right? And you can avoid that mortgage payment. Um, or, you know, are you actually barriered to your down payment itself, right? So these are very different strategies, but there is a silver lining to today in that there's not a lot of inventory, but it is moving a little bit slower. So you can take your time. But I mean, ultimately, it's still very challenging out there. Now, when you think about financially, is it a good job or a good idea to move forward? A lot of people still think about it this way. You know, rent, you know, is, will return as well. We just talk about the fundamental demand. There's a lot of people that need housing. So when you get that mortgage payment for 30 years, if it's a 30-year fixed, right, you're at least fixing that payment. It's like insuring a fixed cost. That said, if you believe mortgage rates are coming down, an adjustable rate loan is kind of like paying for the cash out refi up front, right? Because the rates will drift down. So there's still this stability element to being a homeowner that rent, you know, as it continues, still doesn't have. But this is a long run financial decision to still make it worth it. For sure. Not a flipping moment. Not a flipping yeah. moment. And flipping activity is way, way down, even though flippers. Yeah pretty much making a significant profit, but flipping activity is down. Um, yeah. It is interesting that the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, put out a report saying there's been a major uptick in people buying points. And that speaks mm -hmm. to one of the things you mentioned is that yeah. it is one way for people to, if they have the yeah. money, uh, to bring down their points. I want to talk about home prices, right? So you yeah. mentioned Austin and uh, several cities, uh, metro areas on the West Coast. Case mm -hmm. Schiller yesterday said that in July, ju a little bit backward looking, but in July, home prices fell the most in Phoenix and Vegas. Why, why is the West Coast sort of feeling this? And do you think that maybe builders, who is leading that, that price drop? Yeah, interesting. So, so we have a different set of 
markets that are probably hit the most, according to our Zillow Home Value Index, than Case Shiller. They're just designed a little bit differently and they pick up um, a little bit different signals. Like Case Shiller, for example, will pick up more signals from higher end homes than the Zillow Home Value Index will. That said, I do agree that Phoenix and Las Vegas are among some of the slower moving or rather slower appreciating uh, markets uh, these days, right? So when we're thinking about and explaining that one, you know, honestly, there's a big mix. There's what I'm now, instead of calling it a market correction, let's bring it into the modern vernacular, I'm calling it a market clapback. Um, so I think there is some market clapback going, right? Where you had um, remote work uh, aspirations, um, a lot of flows into Boise, say, you know, if we're being pulled back to work, enough of us are at least, um, you might see some of that being overblown. And so that market clapback, right, bringing those prices a bit down. Same thing where, you know, low rates insulated us from that price appreciation, because you can spread out that appreciation 30 year fix with a low rate. I mean, with rates below 3%, you hardly feel home price appreciation in the mortgage payment. Right. So once mortgage rates jump up, that might initiate as well a little bit of market clapback. So the bigger you boomed in some ways, the more you're you're pulling back now. So that could be a story of Phoenix and Las Vegas. Phoenix and Las Vegas are also areas where we are able to build and respond a bit more. Right. So then the market clapback might you know hit a little more because you also have that new construction in a way that other markets don't. Right. And that's the that's the really hard element. So for example, let me take you to Los Angeles and San Diego. These are actually areas where home values are growing some of the fastest, according to our index, you know, the Zillow home value index. And here, if I'm thinking about, you know, that, I mean, these were also places that appreciated quite a lot, right? So how do we then explain this? Well, in very expensive West Coast markets, those are the places where I saw the biggest pullback in new listings. So mm. these are areas where the existing homeowners in this environment are holding more than most, right? And, and maybe that makes sense. These are places where, I mean, it's uh, housing has been um, a, a good asset vehicle <laughs> in yeah. Southern California. It is harder to build, right? Los Angeles and San Diego. So maybe homeowners hold more. Do you see what I'm saying? So there's like a bit of a mix. I also joke that uh, the world would make a lot more sense if it wasn't for Miami, right? Or, or well, Florida, almost <laughs> the whole of Florida. So there are, there are Florida markets that are very slow. Think the West Coast right. of Florida, right. very slow. There were some of the fastest. Miami, though, still. I know. You know it's, it's, it's really, it's interesting. That really is why I love real estate so much. Some of the markets are so interesting. Like Miami, yeah. there's a lot of foreign interest in buying there. There's also a lot yeah. of flood risk and things like that. Um, I just want to take a, a pause yeah. here to remind the audience that we do have a Q&A section, which we will get to in a couple of minutes. Um, and so if you have any questions, put it in the, the question box and we will get to them. But just on the California front, um, there is one big reason why Californians don't really have an incentive to sell, especially elder Californians. And that's the Prop 13 law. And so I just wanted to sort of bring that up to our audience yeah. too. Yeah, that's sometimes regulatory and policy issues sort of limit uh, home prices from moving more market-like, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that what that just to explain for some people, what Prop 13 does is, 
you know, when you buy a new home, not a new home, an existing home, when you make a new purchase in California, um, you know, your property tax will reflect that sale price, you know, and, and the current value of that home. But then from that point on, your property taxes are limited to grow, right? They're going to keep them from growing um, commiserate with the home value increase. So here I am up in Seattle. We do not have that, <laughs> you know, where I live. Um, and I got a big bill, uh, you know, a big, big increase to my property tax this past year because of the stunning home property appreciation. So different areas, you know, I mentioned that a 30-year fixed rate mortgage is like the insurance to fix to your monthly payment, you know, for 30 years. That can be a huge source of stability. There are two places that can kind of disrupt that for a homeowner, right? Your property taxes um, obviously can continue to grow um, over time. Um, and then, well, or maybe not, right? Or slowly, if you have something like in California with Prop 13. Um, and then the other thing is in insurance. And you mentioned, you know, climate change earlier. So Florida, um, there are also areas in California where you can have sudden uh, sudden uptick in that, that monthly insurance premium. So I'm gonna to go to a couple of audience questions and you know, it, it, there is a mix, right? So I'm gonna to go to a couple by Renton sure. and Stewart. So they, they have questions about the international property markets versus the American property market. So Renton mm. was like, how does the American and Canadian real estate markets, how do they differ? Interesting. Uh, just give me a second to read the other one, which is home prices are falling in other countries, Germany, China. We've seen a lot of China news just as an aside about their property yeah. market. Yeah. Together, yeah. it seems like home prices should fall in the U.S. Or do you think the supply issue will keep us at this sort of level? Yeah. Yeah, I love I love this question because I think in so many ways when we so the interest rate lock in that we're currently experiencing that I was was speaking to, right? The fact that new listings from existing homeowners, I think it's still down like 25% from a pre-pandemic normal at this time of year, right? So this pullback I think has everything to do with US housing finance and that is the 30-year fixed rate loan. So leading into this experience over the course of the pandemic, a vast majority of purchasers purchased a 30-year fixed rate loan. So they are locked. Well, I mean, they're not technically locked. It is an emotional and financial lock-in, right? Um, because they would they have this advantage that they could hold on to for 30 years to keep that low rate. In the UK, a vast majority, of, they don't have the 30-year fixed rate loan, right? So you're looking at, um, I think the vast majority are adjustable rate loans at a five-year fixed term, or maybe it was a six-year fixed term. So then you might imagine if I'm in this environment and I purchased my home three years ago, if I live in the UK, I know that I will be facing the modern interest rate in two years. So let's, you know, how's my job situation doing? You know, how's my family doing? I might want to sell my house uh, to, you know, maintain my financial resilience, right? And so enough people are doing that. The supply comes onto the market. It is the 30-year fixed rate loan that in so many ways is driving our lock-in and maintaining our prices. So how do our prices come down? I mean, a few things like in some ways when mortgage rates come down, we might even see, you know, more supply come online and prices will continue to be soft. I, I discount that one just because I think the buyer is so motivated. Um, 
I think in order to get more supply, what are we waiting for? It's not foreclosures because record high home equity, you know, if you lose your job, uh, you might sell, but you're not wildly motivated. It's not a distress sale, right? Um, but that's just it. I'm waiting for you to lose your job. So basically, I think if we're if employment remains strong, um, you know, I think that's what's so weird about this environment that we're at now, right? There's um, our economy is doing well. Um, and if the economy is doing well and inflation continues to come down, then mortgage rates might remain, you know, fairly elevated. And, um, you know, it, without joblessness, I just don't know where the supply really comes from. So, and yeah. Let's just sort of drill down into that. I know it's, it's an interesting topic and I think maybe people might want to hear more because it's related to yeah. housing. A lot of yeah. people I speak to say, unless we see, you know, the economy being in a recession, unless we see more uh, job, uh, more layoffs, yeah. we're not going to see right. people give up on their homes. And so right. I think... Then, then what does that mean? I mean, maybe is it in five years that we will see housing prices sort of crash? I mean, that's assuming we have yeah. this bad scenario. Crash might be strong, maybe soft, you know, maybe we're looking um, into, you know, a, a period of time into the near future where home value growth is uh, soft and, and steady, right? Um, but, but I think just so much about fundamentals, you know, like that on that coming online uh, generation is so large. Um, you know, the, the potential size of first-time buyers is so large. Um, and, you know, the boomers are aging more and more in place. So often I, I think about, you know, this is not a happy, this is, this is not why, I, I think this is a, an incredible challenge, right? For a first-time home buyer. I don't, I have a lot of uh, you know, advice about how to face the challenge, but I don't have a lot of um, encouragement that the challenge is going to go away. I can't promise a home price crash. I, I don't, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. Hopefully we'll maintain productivity and wage growth. Um, you know, our households can get their feet under them, um, you know, and that's healthy. Uh, but I think housing without more supply, without upzoning, without um, modernizing the mortgage process. Um, there are a lot of frictions in housing for this new generation. You packed um, a lot. You packed a lot in there. So sorry about that. We, we won't be able to get to all of it in the next I know, 10 I know. minutes. But I also want to touch on a question Sunil has, which I always have. It's about climate change. And it's becoming increasingly expensive to live in Florida, which has, you know, whole sure. issues with like flood insurance and, yeah. you know, insurers are pulling out as well. Is that yeah. affecting home sales and listings? Is that affecting yeah. the broader housing market? Yes. Um, broader, no. So there is a huge mix and like a conflict almost between our now um, or making decisions that are for our now and for our later. Um, when it comes to climate change. So for example, our now in a broader housing market sense has a lot of retirees and it's moving down towards the sun. It's not just that older households want to live in hotter environments. And then, you know, remember, you know, climate change might come with more extreme heat. So uh, that can be a challenge. But a lot of these Southern states are also much more attractive for retirement income, say. So there's a lot of people moving down to Florida despite climate change 
right? Okay, so all of this is happening. It's making it look like home values are growing a lot in uh, Florida. We've got older generations that, you know, maybe aren't, uh, you know, that prefer to live in this space. So it's more of a consumption decision and not an investment decision for later. Now, when we do kind of narrow down to when people are making real estate decisions that are more investment, you do see it, uh, climate change impacted. Like commercial purchases are impacted absolutely by future climate change risk. But interestingly, residential home prices are only really impacted or are growing slower in areas where climate change will be a problem in areas that have a lot of climate change salience. And by that, I mean, they're very liberal, you know, they have, they high score, they rank high on questions like climate change is already hurting people in the US. And, and that's a problem because it means that in some areas, you just have people that are making decisions without thinking for the long run. Um, and, and that will cause a lot of uh, pain into the future. But I think for a smart, especially for that first time home buyer, remember I said, you gotta be buying for the long run. So I think this is definitely something uh, to for sure keep in mind uh, when you're making your home price decisions, or excuse me, home purchase decisions. A couple more questions for you because they're coming in fast and furious. So uh, Marilla yeah. asks, um, I'll try and answer faster. <laughs> we have a question on like um, assumable mortgages and we saw a oh, recent yeah. journal story about how the startup was trying yeah. to help make that more common. Yeah. How common are assumable mortgages and what, what, yeah, advisable basically. Yeah, not not super common. Um, and where we do see them tends to be in places like you know the VA, so veterans, you know markets, and um, so in other words, mortgage markets that are more supported, um, where you are trying to benefit. Um, you know, you're you're trying to really lubricate. That's why it's in the VA, you know, marketplace, because these are people that do have to move frequently, right? So if you know you're getting this loan, but you know you're going to move frequently, right? Assumable is kind of an important part of that picture. Um, yeah, that's why I think you're saying a, a startup did it. I think the idea is how can you, what do you have to, this, this is kind of why I love um, that Zillow also is building a, a mortgage business, you know, and, and really innovating or trying to innovate within the mortgage marketplace. So what are the solutions that we need to build um, that can be safe and effective? When you say like advisable, um, you know, assumable mortgage is certainly, you know, can be advisable to get that new home buyer uh, in now that rates are higher, but it's generally done in a supportive environment. It's hard to make it, in other words, like pencil. You know what I mean? It's uh, earlier today. I actually found a post on Reddit uh, about how you know this woman had gotten a assumable mortgage two point two five percent, and she had to cough up five hundred k for down payment. But anyway, that's just oh, sort of yeah. there's a lot. There's a lot in terms of the fine print that some people may need to read. Yes. So maybe that could be sort of a uh, some yeah. just like buying points. Just like buying points is like a bigger upfront commitment. You know, there are, there are usually a trade-off. There's no, I'm an economist. <laughs> it's like a punchline, right? There's no free lunch. Um, and I, that's just very true. Right. So like in order to make these things work out, um, it's generally either you're in a, you know, supportive environment with a subsidy of some kind that someone's like, a, you know, enabling um, a transaction for a subset of households, or there's some other cost that you're bearing. And then it just depends on whether or not it's good. You, you know, it's your strategy, right? 
so as an economist, do you sort of have a number in terms of how many million units were short off? And is there a historical period we can compare it to? This is a question from Sherry that I kind of parallel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're like down a million. <laughs> yeah, so we're down a lot. So four million, it sounds really big, but it is it is significantly down. So it, yeah, it, it could be close to kind of a down a million millions worth, right? From kind of what that steady pace that we might expect. Um, so it's a significant decline. Yeah, twenty percent. You know. And yeah. finally, sort of to to wrap it all up, you know, Skylar, I'm curious as a as an economist, you talk to a lot of people, you talk to a lot of companies and stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what's the most sure. interesting thing you've heard about the market in the last couple of days? Oh my gosh, the most interesting thing I've what's heard the about the market in the last couple of days. You know what's funny? So I think like probably all economists are doing this now. Um, as a housing economist, I'm most certainly doing it um, where, uh, um, you know, you're, I, I call it riding the wave, right? So there's all these data drops constantly. So Zillow data drops at the beginning of the month and then we're all like waiting for a CPI release, you know, or then the PC, so in inflation numbers and, you know, economists are just waiting for those job numbers to drop. And we're all joining the FOMC meetings uh, as if, you know, Jerome Powell is, you know, the big economist dad calling us all to the family meeting. You know, it's like you just we're trying to absorb new information all the time and then update what we think about things and everything else. So add on top of all that, um, I guess the most interesting things that I've been thinking about over the past week are, um, you know, second uh, or short term rental markets. Right. So did too many people buy Airbnbs? Will those be released into the market? Will they be re-released as long term rentals or will they come back into the for sale side? Um, you know, I think there's some myth busting to be done there. I think it's quite overblown, but it is interesting to think about. Um, and so it's that's kind of that's what it feels like. <laughs> You you ended on an amazing nugget that maybe we might have to do another Baron's Life. Just oh, to yeah, right. Yeah. I too wonder, did too many people buy Airbnbs? I, I too wonder. It is interesting, but we'll, we, we'll, we will have to leave it there. Skylar Olson is the chief economist at uh, Zillow. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for being here. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. And good luck, everybody out there, for sure. Yeah, and to the rest of you, we hope you listen to our next episode tomorrow. Barron's Deputy Editor Alex Eul and Associate Editor for Technology Eric J. Savitz will discuss the outlook for tech companies and individual stocks. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Stay safe and have a good day.